Hey everybody, welcome to the 60th episode of the JDO Show. I am your host, J. David Osborne, and today on the program I have Mr. Nate Southard, who is an author of cosmic horror slash crime fiction. Uh, he did a book for Broken River called Will the Sun Ever Come Out Again? And he's got another one coming out later this year from Broken River called Bad Dogs. And he's also got a new short story collection called Selected Stories, which uh, was a great title for a collection of selected stories. Let's see, what's new with me? I stopped smoking, um, and I don't think I'm going to ever turn back. At the moment, oddly enough, I'm going through a craving, which hasn't been an issue for the past couple days. Um, The first day, I fucking white-knuckled it. It sucked ass. I was mad. I... It's basically, um, I was getting a craving, I think, probably every... As soon as one would die down, it would come back probably five minutes later. And that's, for me, maybe... I mean, it's everybody's different. Everybody's biology is different. But I do think that the intensity of that first day was probably the biggest hump to get over. And now it's just a matter of sort of regulating my behavioral things. And so it'll manifest in, in very strange ways. Mostly when I complete something, if I finish writing... Uh, if I have a really good writing session or if I finish reading a book or, for example, when I finish this podcast with Nate, I feel like there's like a celebratory cigarette. And that's just kind of what I've always done. It's a way to sort of get me from one headspace to another. But the other one that I had was when I went to dinner with Rios yesterday after this big, delicious meal at, uh, if you're in the Portland, Lake Oswego area, it's Arabian Nights. It's so fucking good. It's so good. Um, but after I was done eating it, I all of a sudden was like, oh man, I'm going to go have a smoke. And I literally, I swear to God, like I reached for where my pack of cigarettes would normally be. And I was like, whoa, that's how I think deeply ingrained these behaviors get into people that when you do that shit without even thinking, it's very, very strange. So I've been, um, I don't think I've been too snippy. There have been some people who have uh, really gotten under my skin and I have pretty much let them know that they're getting under my skin in a way that I probably would have just let roll off my back in the past. Um, I was uh, basically, uh, I don't know. I don't really want to like put anybody on blast or whatever, but I had a I had a thing where, I don't know, I was just dealing with a person who I've met before who I find very, very unpleasant, and I sort of just snapped, right? And I guess snapping for me isn't, I don't start screaming and yelling and throwing shit, but I'm pretty much, okay, so here's here's how David's brain works. Um, I make a really, really concerted effort to be positive and nice uh, to people because my default setting is to be nasty and mean uh, and snarky and cutting. And so I'm always kind of pushing that back. There'll be times where I even type things, you know, into Facebook, press send, and then I'm like two minutes later, I'm like, take that fucking shit down. You're not doing anything. You're just fucking tearing people down. Uh, And I think that the lack of nicotine has sort of frayed the edges of my nerves. And that kind of thing is just coming out. So this person... It was like the third time being the charm. I'd seen them probably three times in the past three weeks. And this time that I saw them, I was just like, I'm not here for this shit today, you know? Um, And what's weird and what I think I need to watch out for is that after I was mean, I didn't feel bad. Because normally, like, the guilt comes on. 
but when you're fueled by pure rage and uh, lack of nicotine, um, that guilt doesn't exist anymore. So I just have to make sure that I'm very, very careful not to be a dick to people. Or not, or, you know, or whatever. Or just, just doing my best. I don't know. I'm not super interested in being that hard on myself. You know, if I'm a dick to a few people, it, it happens. I apologize in advance. So anyway, I will get into this episode now with Nate. We talk about a lot of interesting stuff. Nate is somebody who I feel a real uh, kind of kinship and connection with because uh, we both kind of go through the same uh, mental things. So we talk about drug addiction, alcohol addiction. We talk about, uh, there's a point in the conversation where we really start talking about sort of this concept of uh, the SJW and the white writer and what the white writer's place is, really. Um, I think that it's a really good conversation. We're both sort of on the same page. We're both progressive-leaning dudes, um, and I think we're trying to get at some kind of truth there. With that being said, please do enjoy the 60th episode of the JDO Show with Nate Southern. Hey, Nate, thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. How's it going? It's going pretty good, man. I see you got the vape going. Yeah, I'm trying to quit the uh, actual uh, uh, analog smoking. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, my girlfriend got me a vape pen for my uh, birthday. So I'm playing around with that lately. And is that, is that, uh, I mean, I guess, dude, I did vape for a little bit, but I have this kind of thing where uh, when it comes to any piece of technology, I'm kind of at the mercy of... Uh, that technology continuing to function because as soon as something breaks, I just like throw it away. So I had this, oh, yeah. I had this vape pen and I was actually kind of super into it because my buddy Jose got me into it. He was like, you yeah, dude, you can mix flavors and blah, blah, blah. And then I had it for about two months and it like fucking broke. And I just was like, well, fuck this. And I just went and bought cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was about, um, I guess it was on Sunday. Uh, me and my girlfriend were up in Dallas so I could meet her family. <laughs> And uh, we were getting ready to leave, and I just dropped my my pen like right onto their driveway, mm-hmm. and the glass tank just shattered. Luckily, I had another one at the house, but yeah, yeah, for the drive home was a bit of a nail biter. So I had to go grab some cigarettes and, Dude, and smoke the whole way. It's crazy, right? Like that that addiction was just like wild. So I'm on I'm on like I'm moving into day five now without. Yeah, and. Uh, Man, the first 24 hours were just like, I was white-knuckled the whole time. Yeah. I looked like an absolute... No, I meant... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I looked like an absolutely insane person just like sitting at the desk, like hitting myself in the skull, you know? Like somebody who's like hearing voices. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's it's insane, dude. It was it was weird. About a year and a half ago, I managed to, to quit cigarettes and... I, I was actually fine for about a month and a half. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really miss them or anything like that. And um, it was, I think it was about six six weeks in or maybe two months, something like that. I had I was just having like a stressful, shitty day. Mm-hmm. And um, like it, it was like my ability to deal with stress was just gone. And I kind of had like this weird sort of mini nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I went home and I ended up like I was just sitting in my room freaking out and like I ended up running around the block a couple of times and by the time I was just 
in my bed, like screaming into my pillow and like punching the wall. I was like, I'm going to go buy some fucking cigarettes. <laughs> and then I was fine. Um, no, and that's what's so funny, it was man. Weird. No, it's like a, I, I really freaked out. Yeah, no, it is. And it is weird too. I think that people who have never smoked really, they like, they don't fucking get it. You know, you get a lot of, uh, like, well, why don't you just like have the willpower to quit? And it's, it's yeah. like, dude, you don't fucking get it. Like it's it's like basically if I if I walked into your apartment and I just started just like poking you right, but I was also yeah. I was a ghost right, and <laughs> so you couldn't punch me. And then I started like pinching you, and I just kept right. pinching you. And the whole time I'm pinching you, I'm whispering like, if you just smoke this thing, this will all go away. It'll go away. Yeah. And it ramps up in uh, in intensity and in intensity. And it's just like, just one, dude. And then it, like, it goes into this weird bargaining phase. I felt like there was literally a devil on my shoulder that was like, you know what, man? You don't have to go through this. Just just smoke one. And then, hey, maybe you, maybe you can be the guy who just smokes one cigarette a day. Hey, maybe, maybe that's yeah. your thing. But it's just you just have to just fucking, I guess, I guess you just have to tough it out, I guess. I guess. I mean, it's weird. Like, when I actually hit withdrawal on cigarettes, it was worse than anything I've ever dealt with, I think. I mean, like, I quit drinking, and, um, I mean, it's it's 13 months now. I haven't had maybe, like, one urge to drink over 13 months. Um, well, congratulations. I quit. Well, thanks. Um, I quit, I'll say, harsher vices. That's probably a good way of saying it. Mm-hmm. You know, that 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 craving's not there, but yeah, cigarettes. It's you know if it's not there every couple of hours or something like that, you start to freak out. It's really so weird. Well, what what made you decide to uh, to quit drinking? Um, it was so. All right, so to be perfectly honest, I had a drug problem. Mm-hmm. Um, started out, I thought, as a drug hobby it eventually became a drug problem. They always do. And, and so I was trying to quit that and was doing pretty good at it, but I was sort of masking it by, um, you know, I would drink at least a six pack a night Mm -hmm. and, you know, and that was on a good night. You know, sometimes I was drinking two six packs or six pack and half a bottle of bourbon, something like that. And, you know, that sort of, kept um you know it, it sort of helped me maintain for a while but i started noticing that every time i drank i wanted to do drugs yeah yeah it was like the two kind of went hand in hand because they they had for years at that point mm-hmm. and it was um it was when i had had like seven beers one night it was a thursday i remember that and had seven beers and i was going through my phone trying to find like any sort of text message or like a call log that had my old dealer's number on it because I had deleted it. Oh shit. And I was just like, Oh no, I got to stop drinking. That's, that's just what I got to do. And so it was really, I mean like, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I, I know that I'm comfortable admitting it and saying it, but I'm also a drug addict and one was feeding into the other. So I, in order to stop one, I had to quit both. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting that you say like the whole, you know, it started off as like a, as a hobby and then it got really, really bad because it's, yeah. it's kind of amazing how quickly 
that that becomes normalized, right? Like for me in particular, uh, I didn't even realize it until, you know, it's like you go to your buddy's house and like they've all got Molly and stuff and you're like, yeah. oh, oh, hell yeah, you know? And so like you roll tits for like a night. But then it, and then it's almost like you just like wake up one day and you're like, wow, I just, I fuck, I've rolled like five of the past six nights and I, we're going to go do yeah. it again. You know what I mean? So, and it's almost like you don't think of it because it just becomes such a, an oddly normal part of your, I think how quickly drug use is normalized. And that's like in fiction to kind of like, I guess, tie it back. It's always, mm -hmm. it's always like this requiem for a dream shit, right? Like where it's like seedy. And oh stuff. yeah. But it's not, dude. It's like it's actually just like for the most part pretty fucking fun until it's until you're, you know, completely destroyed, you know? Right. I mean it was like I never missed work or anything because of it. I, I you know, I knew when to stop using, so I'd be fine to drive to work and, and function through work and everything. And yeah, I remember like with me it was um it was uh this girl I was hanging out with and all of her friends and they they would do um Coke. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, no, I like this. This is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, after like, after, you know, 35 years of saying like, I'm never going to do that shit. Right. And um, so after I stopped hanging out with them and I found somebody else who was like selling it or whatever, I was like, well, you know, it's Friday night. Like I'll get 40 bucks worth or something like that. Yeah. And that was awesome. You'd do 40 bucks, you'd stay up, you'd write, you'd do whatever. Um, I never did anything as productive as writing. It was always shit. Like whenever I bought it was because I like couldn't find something on Netflix. I was like, well, tonight's <laughs> fucking. So I would go like get that and then stay up for 18 hours watching Netflix. <laughs> like what right, I was going to do. Right. Um, but yeah, so it was like, well, I'll get 40 on Friday. And then and, like a couple months later, it's like, well, I'll get 40 on Friday and maybe I'll get 60 on Saturday. And Make then weekend out of it. Right. And then, uh, you know, it, it really hit like that. It, it, it just blows my mind to think that I seriously had a week where I was like, I spent $1,800 on it this week. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah, the thing. It's, it, just, it's such a slippery fucking slope, dude. You know, and I, oh, yeah. and I know how awesome Coke is, right? Like I have, I, I, uh, it was so funny. Like I moved away from, um, from Oregon to like get away from, all that shit, or I'm, I'm sorry, I moved away from Oklahoma to get away from all that shit. Right. And then literally the guy who used to deal me shit, like he moved into the same town that I'm in in Oregon, like down the street practically. Yeah. You know? And it's like, so I'm hanging out with him and you know, he has a little baggie of the shit and he's like, here, you just hang on to that. And I'm like, oh, for me. And, uh, <laughs> after that night though, I was just like, you know what, man? Like I, I can't like, seriously like that was like my kind of last hurrah i think you know yeah because i just i realized how it was it was almost like the universe was fucking tempting me again because how does that even happen right like what are the right. odds of that happening right uh and it was like hey you think that you could just move and like get away oh no oh no we're coming for you and so i i feel like i man I, what is it about us dude do we just like is our are our brains just like fucked up or what like what do you think i mean i think that's certainly part of it i mean you've kind of got i don't know if it's i don't know if it's that we're prone to addiction or something like that i mean it's uh i, I for me I, I know it was um a lot of it was i was 
I was dealing with, um, I've dealt with depression and anxiety my entire life. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm very like, I'm generally afraid of people. Um, I'm somebody who'll go to a writer's convention and spend two thirds of it in his room Mm -hmm. because he just needs to pay for the fucking convention. Um, and for me, it was, it, it wasn't even like peer pressure that got me to start it. It was this girl I was hanging out with. And for like the first time in my life, I kind of felt like, Hey, I'm in with the cool kids or whatever. And nobody ever pressured me into doing it. As a matter of fact, they pressured me into not doing it. But I was like, it looks so cool when you guys are doing it. Mm-hmm. And then um, the way I always described how Coke feels, is, or at least the way I describe it now, is take the best you've ever felt in your entire life and multiply it by your credit rating. <laughs> and it was, for the first time, I was like, man, I don't give a shit about nothing. Right. And it was... So I don't know if I was hardwired for it, for it as just I was hi- hardwired for depression and anxiety, and uh, this was better than being <laughs> depressed and anxious. Right, um, right. Now, is that now when you, you say know, your whole life, did that kind of develop in, in your teenage years? Or, like, was, was there a point, basically, like, was there a point that you could remember not being depressed or anxious? Um. I remember I had my first anxiety attack when I was eight years old. Holy shit, dude. Yeah, you, yeah, that's that's pretty young, man. I think. Um, I mean, I'm not a yeah. psychiatrist. I, I mean, I think so. I, I remember I told my therapist that once, and she was just like, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and it's my job and, to hear sad shit. <laughs> right. I mean, well, it was um, – and the weird thing is I still thought I had a pretty normal upbringing and everything. I mean, it was – some of the typical stuff, childhood divorce, broken home, stepdad I didn't get along with, blah, 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 blah. But I still thought it was pretty normal. And then um, I guess it was 2011. So it was, I was about 33, 34 at the time. Um, I had lost both my parents to cancer like within a year. And then found out that the guy I thought was my biological dad actually wasn't. I was the product of, a, of an affair my mom had had with the doctor who ended up being my pediatrician. What the <laughs> fuck, dude? Whoa, you live yeah. in a fucking soap opera. Right. And so what kind of like I'd been doing pretty okay with depression and anxiety, just sort of managing it at that point. But um, finding out at the age of like 34 that my life was way more fucked up than I'd ever known. Uh-huh. Um, that threw me for a big loop. Right. right. But, but yeah, it was, um, I've never, I've never really handled stress. Well, um, I mean like, like at my day job currently, I'm we're allowed like five weeks of vacation a year and I'm currently sitting at like negative one week of vacation time because I mean, that's, that's how many days I've had to take off in the last year just because of dealing with depression and everything. And that's, yeah, I, it's exacerbated because I'm not drinking or doing drugs or anything anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it, it's, uh, it's kind of shitty to think that, you know, for a few years at least I functioned better on that than I did without, but right, you, know, right. you know, it's, it's one of those things you just keep working and getting better. So 
No, totally, um, man. And you and you do like the thing is, is that I don't think it's helpful to like pretend that you don't do better when you're on that shit because, of course, you do, right? Like that's what the chemicals are designed to do, right? right. But. I mean, you know this. It's just it's one of those things where that's that's how those things get you. You know, I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's because I don't think that it's weakness, right? I've heard that a lot where people are like, oh, these these folks are just weak. But it's like, no, it's like if you actually had to live inside one of our heads for a certain amount of time, you would probably pick the temporary relief just to function as, oh, yeah. as, as a human being than you would to actually live in it. So it's a difficult prospect. There are people walking around who just who don't go through that and can't understand. Why the fuck would you put chemicals in your body? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And right. Uh, yeah, on yeah, it is to you. But then... Take, but they're all coffee drinkers. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and it's like... And then it's, oh, man, I'm a writer. I, I love my coffee. Oh, oh, gotta have my coffee in the morning. Um... Which isn't that weird, man? That there are like these, these, these like tropes on social media that like everybody who becomes a writer sort of like falls into. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> I mean it's yeah, it's great. It's it's. I wish more people would sort of fall into the tropes that I fell into, like just the being bitter for no real reason, shit like that. <laughs> Uh, it, it seems I don't know. Maybe they're all masking it, but I see a lot of people on social on social media who are just like, "Oh, I'm happy that so and so is successful." Where I'm like, "Yeah, okay, a part of me is happy, but another part of me is like, fuck you." <laughs> right, right, right. No, no, I, mean, I, and I, it's, it's, I think that's healthy, it's a man. shitty reality, but it's a reality. Right, right. Well, I mean, like you kind of like I, I I deal with that a lot too, dude. I mean, there are times where um, I'll look at particular people and I'll be like, oh. You know, because my first book came out like six years ago, but I've been like doing this thing for, for 10 years. And every once in a while, I really will get to a point where I'm just like, I don't know how much fucking longer I'm going to do this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like, oh, yeah. okay, it's been 10 years, you know, and of course, like something will break eventually and that's fine. But what exactly will that break look like? And will it be worth all this fucking effort? You know what I mean? And do I even like writing anymore? You know? Yeah. I mean, and that's that that's part of it definitely um i mean i'm kind of in a headspace these days where you know i might not ever break and that's i'm pretty okay with that actually because mm -hmm. um you know i've got a day job that i've been at for like 17 years now i like having health insurance uh, great <laughs> I, like, I like i like getting health insurance that costs me like 40 bucks a month instead of like you know 300 or something like that yeah so I'm, and it's, that's one of those things, like the reality of it is, is if I, if I did break and could make my living as a writer, even working, you know, sort of a, you know, the hourly sit at the desk type stuff, sort of job, it would still be expenses going up, income going down. And, you know, I like that, that, uh, like that bedrock of getting a paycheck every two weeks. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, um, and it it allows me to do, you know, since I'm, I don't really work with deadlines or anything because everything I write is on spec, um, you know, I don't, it doesn't feel like a job. I right, mean, right. Where, a lot, where a lot of my frustration is, is I always want to try to get better. Yeah. Like I want everything I write to be better than it was, than the last thing. Mm -hmm. And I get, I take it, I take it out on myself really hard when I don't live up to that. Mm. 
Right, right, right. Uh, and so, so, but I mean, how do you look at what you're doing now and, and even be able to make a judgment as to whether it's better or not? That's a damn good question. Um, cause I'm not, mm, that's the thing is I'm not entirely sure that I can. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of it is, and, and this kind of goes back to, um, <coughs> being bitter for no reason. And another thing I, I, I know I'm guilty of, and I see mm-hmm. a lot of, or at least I suspect a lot of other people's do people do is I tend to see other people's success as my failure. Interesting. Um, yeah. And so like I'll read, you know, something that I think is amazing, like, um, Paul Tremblay's last two books or, um, anytime Lee Thomas sends me a short story to look over or, uh, Gabino's zero saints, um, or, uh, Tiffany Scandals, Jigsaw Girls. I'll read something like that, which I just think is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I immediately start comparing myself to it. I and see so saying, it's, yeah. it's not so, so it's like a large part of my brain thinks of it as getting better because I want to be as good as these writers. Um, so when I'm comparing it to my older stuff, it's almost like I'm comparing it to other stuff, I guess. Yeah. No, and, and that's where it gets frustrating. No, I totally get that. I think that there's a there's a slight twist on how I do it, which is that when I look at something uh, that I really really like, it actually kind of like amps me up. Uh, but yeah. what I do is I'm I'm, <clears throat> and I've tried to get around this. I've tried to become like a more uh, open and loving and nurturing and you know forgiving person when it comes to writing. But the fact of the matter yeah. is, is that I'm picky as fuck. Like I'm really picky and I don't like a lot of shit. And for me, it's like the opposite when I see people, uh, gaining some sort of, you know, um, like things taking off. And then I look at that and I'm just like, well, I couldn't, I could never do that. And it's not because I'm not saying that like, oh, I could never write, you know, a commercial mainstream fiction book because I'm an artist and blah, blah, blah. It's just that like, I know what I'm, what I do. You know, I know the kind of thing that I put out and I'm like, yeah. oh man, I'm a straight white dude who's writing crime fiction. Nobody's like the zeitgeist isn't there right now. You know what I mean? So I kind of have the whole sort of, you know, I have to wait for white guys to become interesting again, <laughs> which is a thing. It depends on which, it depends on which white guy you tell isn't interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah. some will get really pissed off at you for that. Well, no, no. I, I mean, for sure. And they're welcome to get as pissed off and they're welcome to kiss my ass, you know, because it's, totally. it's a, to- it's so like true. Like everything goes through that. Like, you know, it, lit- and I'm not mad about, I guess that's the thing that is, that's important to kind of like say here is that like, I'm not mad that, you know, I was talking to a friend who I, who I won't name cause I don't know if he wants people to like know that these are his thoughts as well but it's just one of those things where we kind of sat there and we were like you know what none of us are mad because so much good writing is coming out of this thing and you know and white dudes have definitely had their day in the sun uh (laughs) to to put it mildly but i mean just like realistically dude i mean there's just it's it's a little bit tough in the in the writing game now maybe not so much in like genre right uh which is still pretty white but in a lot of circles, it's kind of like, 
if you're like, hey, I have a, <laughs> I'm a white dude and I have a, a book that I just wrote about being poor and white and super sad, everybody's like, uh, <laughs> we're just not really into that thing right yeah. now. Does that make One sense what I'm of... saying? Like, I'm not complete. I'm not being like a oh, yeah, no. righty or I anything. I, stop me if um, I'm being too, too, uh, too weirdly uh, white and conservative sounding. No, no. I was just, uh, I was like, I'm wondering because I, I, I never have my ear to the publishing world as much as I should. Um, which is probably another reason I haven't, uh, been as successful as I would like. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I mean, it's, you know, I, I know in, um, I think it was, was it last year or the year before K Tempest Bradford did that, uh, one year challenge to not read any straight white male authors for a oh, year. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I think that was, yeah. that was, was that last, I think it was 2015, right? I, I want to say it was 2015. I know I, I stuck with it for about half a year. Um, and then I really wanted to read, uh, Paul Tremblay's, uh, Paul Tremblay's a head full of ghosts. So I yeah. cheated. Right. Um, so, I mean, like I became much more aware of what all's out there then. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I read some amazing stuff. I, I read a, a bunch of Yoko Ogawa and I read a, a lot of other Japanese writers, a lot of female writers. Um, you know, I'm so I'm certainly much more aware of what's out there in regards to non-straight white males. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's entirely possible just because I don't have my ear to mainstream publishing and a lot of what's coming out in genre publishing that, you know, maybe straight white males are it's I would say it's not even just possible, but entirely probable that they're still you know, taking up space in a vast majority of the marketplace. I think you're right, man. And I think, I think that what I would kind of like, I think what I would say about what me and this fellow were talking about is that I think that we just kind of sense the sea change and yeah, overall it's really, it's a good thing. And I like support it. Most of the writing groups that I hang out around here in Portland are like non, like I'm actually normally like the token straight white dude. And right. Uh, so and I, I want, like, to see success for all of them. But it does kind of, like, sort of look like, I don't know, thinking about, like, that sort of zeitgeist in general, it's kind of like I look at the stories that I have to tell in particular. And I think this was what led me to get a little depressed on the Internet about a week ago, is that I look at the stories yeah. that I have to tell, and I'm like, I don't really, I feel like maybe it's just, like, I feel like if I were to be talking about people who were not me, I would say maybe people like me just need to hush for a little bit and like let other people mm-hmm. have the, the stage. But then it's the yeah. hardest thing to apply that to yourself, right? Uh, right. It's easier to tell everybody else to hush and like let the POCs talk. But then when it comes to like really analyzing, putting out your own stuff, it's like, well, if I was really going to put my money where my mouth was, right, I would... I would be I would yield the stage to, to other people, right? Which is kind of what I'm trying to do like with Broken River in in a way, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, I, I so I guess I guess the the kind of nuance of what I'm what I'm saying is that I I feel like there's a, a change in that. I mean, I think that uh straight white dudes always find a way to uh make their voices heard 
through <laughs> through whatever. That's the most ridiculous sense I've ever heard. It's so true, but it's it's yeah, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Like we can't we can't help ourselves. Like just go on Facebook, dude, and admit, and say something disparaging about straight white dudes, and somebody you will have never met in in real life will somehow have found that post and will want to argue with oh, you yeah. on Facebook about it. They're the most just like they have all the time in the world because they're sitting at a cubicle somewhere. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is what's wrong. Like, we're losing our country. So I guess to anybody who's listening to this who thinks that I'm saying something like, the writing world is losing. It's <laughs> We need to yeah. make writing great again. <laughs> uh, yeah. that's, that's not what I, I'm saying I think, it's just, uh, I think it's just like a peril of human nature. Is anyone who feels like they're special doesn't like dealing with the cold, hard fact that maybe they're not as special as they, want, as they thought they were. Exactly, exactly. And for a lot of times that was, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a straight white guy from the Midwest. Um, in my high school graduating class, um, I think there was one kid who was mixed race. Um, my sister went to the same uh, high school, so there was one Latino kid there, and uh, his last name was pronounced by everyone, including him, as Martinez. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it just one of the widest places you'll ever find. Sure. I mean, so it's, um, so, I mean, like, I know, I, I still keep in touch with a lot of people from high school and everything, and there's, uh, there's a ton of very, very progressive people. I mean, yeah, I, I you know, it's our, our younger generation, I think, where, we're, I like to think at least the majority of us are on the right track, like, socially and politically and and that sort of thing um but you know occasionally you do still see you know you know like a a a guy i went to high school with still had like in his family pictures because he's a police officer in a predominantly white town i mean he still was like there in his police uniform and his wife and his kids were wearing like blue lives matter t-shirts oh jesus and uh, I, I remember one of the kids, I think, had a shirt on that said, or no, his wife said, because it had like a blue line across it. And it said, because he's mine, I walk this line. Oh, it's so like that self-seriousness that people have. It's like, how do you, how do you, how do you live like that, man? How do you live I mean, taking yourself so goddamn seriously? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of problems taking myself seriously. I mean, even... As a writer, what I always say is like I take what I do very seriously, but I'm very aware that what I do is really fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah, I write monster stories. I try to write the best ones I possibly can, well, as I, well as I, I just can. want to slip in there that I I do actually think that you're probably one of the best doing that. So, for what that's well, worth. Thanks. I, I beg to differ, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, most of them do. Most of them do. But yeah, man, I, I think I think before we lose that thread entirely, because this is something that's yeah. just been really interesting to me, and I think that I feel a real uh, like kind of kinship with you because I feel like you and I kind of go through similar stuff. You know, I think that uh, people I've had on the show before, uh, I mean, I've had a few who have uh, sort of that I kind of feel have gone through sort of like the depths of uh depression and anxiety and things like that uh yeah but but when i talk to you i'm like oh a brother a brother. <laughs> you know what i mean like because it's 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 really it's really hard to to kind of fully articulate but so i kind of wanted to talk about this thing uh with you about like um 
because I've been, I, I, I want some, some free therapy basically. Um, okay. so when you look at the things that are popular and let's like completely take like race and gender out of it, like, let's just focus on like yeah. genre. So, right. you know, you see the things that are popular, um, and you suddenly realize that you, you, you don't write that way and you yeah. don't write those things. Um, I put this up on Facebook and I got this, the same bullshit over and over again, which was, I just write the things that I would want to read. And I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. that's totally fine. But you know, you're putting the thing out there for consumption. So there's a, right. there's a second half to this. So what I'm wondering is, is your thoughts on how you sort of like reconcile, uh, because I mean, we're both genre dudes. I mean, right. we're not going to write the hunger games or Harry Potter or whatever. Like, how do you, how do you sort of reconcile? Is, is it just, has it just been sort of relegated to this kind of like thing that gives you pleasure and, you know, if it, if it moves, it moves and if not, whatever, or just tell me where your head's um, at with that. I, I think, um, what I tend to do is, uh, at least through the last few books, because I'm not sure how many people are really aware of this, but I mean, this year, um, with uh, uh, with Bad Dogs, it's a novel I got so I hear coming out from Broken River in the second half of the year. Wah, little wah, plug. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean that's the first like original novel I've had out since uh, 2011 or 12, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean because that's if you line up those years, that's when Nate was in uh, drug and depression hell, mm -hmm. um, and I mean, it, it's kind of been with that one and uh, my next novel after that, which is supposed to be out in 2018, it's I, I'm still doing sort of like my weird cross of monsters and crime and mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. But I mean, if, if you look at and even some of the characters that were in uh, Will the Sun Ever Come Out Again, like in uh, um, Something Went Wrong, mm -hmm. is especially a good example, it's uh the characters are usually there's at least one that's working through whatever personal shit i'm dealing with mm -hmm. um like in bad dogs um i tried writing that like three times and i couldn't make it work and um uh, what finally clicked for it is um charlie crawford who's you know he's he's sarcastic he's an asshole um he's got this really confident swagger um, but when he breaks down, he's a guy who doesn't think he's any good at what he does. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, a lot of what I do is I can frame a character like that in any sort of story. So it's, I'm just kind of working out my shit really. Yeah. Um, right on, right on, man. And do you, but do you think, I guess, I guess the kind of like, uh, the public aspect of it, right? And the readership aspect and the audience aspect. Does that does that play into it at all? Because it's kinda of weird. It's like it's like going to therapy and then putting the contents of your therapy on the internet and being like, Hey, do you guys think that this is cool or what? You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um oh, I, I try not to worry about it. I mean yeah. it's 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 I'm still new enough into that that there hasn't been like a hey, when's this guy gonna stop writing about really sad white people? Sure, um, sure, sure. Backlash yet, but you know I. I don't, oh man, that's tough. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just I try not to think about it. I I tell I tell the stories I want to tell. Um, you know I and I I won't say I tell the stories I like to read because I have no business trying to tell the stories I like to read. You know I right. I've been over the last couple of years I've been reading a you know a lot of for for lack of a better term, minority writers, whether that be gender-based or sexuality-based or race-based. And I wouldn't, I don't think I would feel comfortable trying to write a story like that because it would seem, I think, I think it would, just because it's not my life experience at all, it would, it would be kind of, it would feel sort of like tokenism or Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. me trying to get my white savior shit out of there. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to, I I don't have a a great, like oppressed black man story in me. I don't have a Mm -hmm. great oppressed, um, gay man story. I don't have a great oppressed woman story. I it's those. And I'm not, I'm not in any way saying those stories shouldn't be told. I think they totally should. Um, Just not told by us, maybe. Right. I mean, I think unless you have something important and valid to say with a character, then then it's it's kind of tokenism. Right. Um, well, I think that, I think that like writing in general, dude, is like with whatever character we <clears throat> we write, no matter what they're race or orientation is we're trying to the best of our ability to create a composite of what how we perceive those particular people uh in real life you know so i think that right. if, if we kind of stick to like the honesty thing if, if we try to tell the truth the rest just kind of falls you know in line you know that and that's yeah. that's one of the things that having this podcast has really helped me with you know is that sometimes i'll say like weird shit or embarrassing shit on this but i just fuck i press i, I publish it you know what i mean uh so it's oh, yeah. basically like, and that's helped with writing because it's like, okay, I might be saying something stupid or whatever, and it'll be there forever, but that's okay, because I'm trying, I'm trying to to get at what I perceive as the the truth, you know. And if that makes me an idiot, or if that makes me a bad writer, or whatever, and that doesn't matter. Who, who fucking cares? So I think that that's a good, that's like a good north star, right? Is like, is this? Yeah, I'll totally. Do I perceive this as true or not? Now, I think what you're saying it holds a lot of water because you can't really get to the ultimate truth of somebody with that vastly different of an experience of you, you know, if, if you're just focusing on them, right? I feel like those characters right. can exist in the fiction, but I, I would be hesitant to say that you could maybe adopt a first person uh, perspective from them, you know, uh, you'd have to yeah. sort of like, I mean, they have to exist as composites and impressions rather than uh, maybe deeply lived and felt characters. Right. I mean, it's uh, like my first, my first book I ever had published just like hell was, I mean, it, it's about, um, there's, there's a gay rape and mm-hmm. there's, um, a gay rape committed by people who identify as straight. Yeah. Um, and that sort of came about from two things. One was, um, when I was in school, uh, I was doing research for a paper or something like that and found out that as per a, a recent study or something like that, like 80% or higher of reported gay rapes were committed by people who identified as straight Whoa. on gay men Whoa. or on gay women. Mm. Um, sort of as a, you know, because, you know, rape isn't 
really a sex thing. It's a power thing. And it was sort of, you know, it's domination. Mm -hmm. I think you're less than me. So I'm going to treat you like garbage. Mm -hmm. And um, my freshman year of college, I had a a friend who um, came out about halfway through the year and um, was within a few months or within, within the end of a week was starting to get threatening messages and got mugged and, Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started sort of working in shifts to walk in class and everything. And so it was, you know, I had those sort of experiences to draw on, but, you know, if I'm going to try to just tell like a regular monster story and I, I try to make the main, the main character a gay male or a gay female or a black male or a fee or a straight female, whatever. Um, I don't have like the life experience to make it anything other than me basically writing a straight white male character and then saying, and by the way, he's black. Right. I think that like there's, there's a lot of pushback from people on that who would say, uh, well, it's writing. So you can use your imagination. You can do whatever you want. So why not to them? I would say, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a story all about a character called your mom. And your mom loves getting butt fucked. She loves just getting her asshole torn wide open, just blown out by as many dudes and foreign objects as possible. And your mom is the biggest, fattest whore that I've ever met in my entire, you know? And then it's like, hey, dude, what the fuck? What what are you talking about? It's like, hey, no, I'm using my imagination. imagination. I'm just putting myself in, in the gigantic, bulbous, ice cream craving mind of your butt loving mother (laughs) and then it's like like, dude that is like so not cool it's no i know see so so where's there's lines to everything and people like to talk in absolutes and it's just what you're saying i feels right to me man it's just like we could just leave all that shit alone because there's plenty of people who can tell those like people i think that every single person is unique and we all have like our, our it sounds cliche and corny, but we all have the stories that just we can tell. And yeah, we should be trying to tell those particular stories. Like there are other people who can tell that story who have lived that experience better than you or I can. And I don't, I just don't see a problem with just saying like, Hey, maybe we'll just back off from that. Right. I mean, at a a certain point, I mean, yeah. And I'm in no way saying that like we shouldn't tell those stories or that we can't tell those stories. I'm saying we're not the best people to. Mm hmm. And it's, you know, at what point does it become any different than uh, Rachel Delenzo or whatever her name was? Rachel Dolezal? Yeah. Yeah. At at what point does it become any different than her going, well, I identify as black and I work for the uh, NAACP, even though both my parents are white and I'm white and I just got my hair braided. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, that's such a can of worms, dude. I think that the I think that the main problem with that is that she just kind of she's just ridiculous. You know what I mean? Um, it from from what I've read with like interviews with her and stuff. The and this is just my take on it. I'm sure if she would disagree with me, even takes. though she's never going to I fucking exist. But I I think she is someone, and it's just my impression. I could be wrong. I think she is someone who, who very much cares about racial issues and wants to help. But I also think there's an extreme narcissism there. Yep. And I think she wants it all filtered through her. Right. Right. Which makes sense. I mean, like, I think that that's 
I don't really feel like that's a that's a really super spicy hot off the grill take. I mean, I think that that's a a pretty yeah. accurate one. To I mean, yeah. but oh, I'm I'm the last person to reach any original thought. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I mean, I think that I think that one of the main problems we have on the internet right now is the preponderance of hot spicy takes. You know what I mean? You know when you just have like a bullshit thought in the shower and you're like, oh my god, I just figured out how. Transformers is a metaphor for race relations in America right now. Hold on, let me message Vox and see if I can. <laughs> but uh, but no, I think that you're 100 percent right, and that's kind of um, that's kind of interesting because that's sort of the issue writ large with almost everything going on like socially right now. It's it's yeah. it's so hard to untangle the message that they have from just the deep narcissism that kind of walks hand in hand with it and that's on both sides you know on, right. of, of pretty much everything like it's really hard to separate the person who has either been hurt or is doing the hurting from like the actual issue at hand oh totally and uh i don't know man it gets a little bit exhausting but i can't pretend like i don't like it i, I clearly keep up with it so you know yeah um, i mean to take it back to the K Tempest Bradford reading challenge. I mean, it was, that was somebody just saying, Hey, like maybe just broaden your reading horizons. And, you know, I did, and I actually had the, the, my, the most fun reading that year than I think I have in a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but so many people were, it, it was like, people were just so offended that they had to think outside of any little box um, it, it was just so weird to see, like, you know, well, it's, it's narcissism, right? The, the narcissism of the writer bubbled up to the surface. And when people are told that they should do something, because I don't even think that it necessarily had to do with, uh, you know, being told what to do, which people do hate. But I think that right. what we were seeing on a lot of those threads were writers talking in particular, a lot of white uh -huh. writers. And yes, it was a direct attack on their identity because whether I feel like I'm just being real when I say that, you know, I think about this kind of stuff a lot. And as a straight white dude, do I really have much to say? But I don't think a lot right. of people want to do that work. They're like, no, I want to have book signings and I want to go on book tours and I want to get advances and I want movies to be made for my books. And I want that life. I want that life. And anything that kind of creeps in and says, yeah. You know, if if I was to go out and try to play sports, you know, um, I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't make the team. I wouldn't make the cut. And I'm completely comfortable with that. But in writing, I mean, that kind of happens, too. It's a different set of skills and it's a different sort of like social game. Right. But yeah, some people don't have it. And like and that's kind of OK. You can set up a basketball court in your backyard and play with your friends like that's nobody's stopping right. you from doing that. But I do think that when. Someone like Kate Tempest Bradford says, maybe read people of color. Uh, they take that immediately as do not read whoever the writer is who's reading that's work. Yeah. And it's like, grow the fuck up, dude. I mean, that. Yeah, they don't they don't see it as like an invitation to broaden your horizons. They see it as a personal attack against them. Right. And it's like. Yeah. Nobody fucking cares, man. No, no literally, yeah. like you, you can scream and vote for Donald Trump all you want, but you're still a fuck, and nobody likes you. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's uh, it's the same as you know. I keep seeing more and more 
straight white dudes again, which I am. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is a straight white dude complaining about straight white dudes. I feel like we're the perfect people though, to take ourselves to task though. You know what I mean? Because, right. and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I will totally like, I'm interested oh, no, no. In, in your thought, but you know, I mean, I think that, I think that you, people like you and I, like the, the straightest and whitest of the straight, straight white dudes, like we do need to like have like come to Jesus moments with our brethren because as soon yeah. as a black person says this or a gay person says this, people are like, that's reverse racism. Uh, yeah. And so, hey, I'm not being racist, dude. I've, I'm also I'm, I'm part of your, you know, whatever you call this thing that we're made up of. And I just feel like saying like, hey, maybe maybe chill out, bro. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's sort of what I was going to say is, you know, I, I've been seeing more and more over the last couple of years. You know, somebody will say something is sexist or racist or misogynist or whatever. And there will be invariably some straight white male saying like, that's not sexist. That's not like, it's not racist. You know, it's, you know, when is, when did cultural appropriation became a thing? Like rap music's cool. It's just all the sort of defensive shit. And, you know, it's the thing is we're straight white males. We do not get to decide what's racist or misogynistic or sexist. Right. We don't. I mean, it's, we, we don't get to decide what affects other people. Right. We decide what affects us, but you know, we're still the hegemons or whatever. Right. So it's, is that like a, is that like a Digimon or a Pokemon? Is that like, um, the hedge, uh, it's a, it's a fancy term I learned in college. Uh, like I learned it and it was, a I think a, government class or something like that like the goal of any country is to reach the hegemonic state which is basically the the world leader so like currently it's the united states and china vying back and forth for the hegemonic state and then once you reach that your sole goal is to defend it so and that's for years and years straight white males have been the hegemons socially and politically and now the the world is catching up to where it should be and things are getting more progressive and um you know so the the straightest whitest malest of the straight white males are trying to push back i mean it's it's the you know it's the same thing you see with like you know the like the civil rights riots and everything where you know they were turning hoses and dogs on protesters and marchers and stuff Mm. it's it's the same as, you know, straight white dudes who think Black Lives Matter is a terrorist movement, which is just fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it just shows like how desperate somebody is where if somebody's like, hey, my life matters too. And they're like, that makes you a terrorist. Right, <laughs> right, right. It's, um, you know, for, for people or for, uh, for people who proclaim to be like these brave alpha whatever's you you scratch one of them you find a coward invariably are you talking about like like the gorilla mindset and shit yeah yeah i mean it's just just swinging that dick around hit whatever you can i'll tell you what man we sound like a couple of cucks right now oh we do we do <laughs> we're a couple of cuck betas is what we are yeah we are cuck betas it's true it's true i i just I mean, hell, i'm like a I'm so far down. I'm like a Delta. 
Yeah, no, exactly. I like it. I like watching, you know, my significant others have sex with other people. But not just that. I like it when the dude, like, pulls out and just puts his nuts on my forehead. And it's not oh, even, yeah. like, a sex thing. It's just a humiliation thing because I'm yeah. because I'm cuck squared, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, occasionally I just ask my girlfriend, like, can you slap me and call me something bad? That's... <laughs> We're just watching. I know, but I need it. Yeah, we should. We should do. We should. We should make shirts that are just like cuck. This says cuck for life, you know. Cuck. <laughs> and then it's like a picture of a dude crying. Yeah. <laughs> at his keyboard. Yeah, at his keyboard. Dude, writers are total cucks, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! We're gonna get so much hate mail for this. I know it's gonna be great. Uh, so yeah. are you, uh, are you, uh, have you, have you read or watched anything interesting lately as far as like movies or TV or books or anything? Um, let's see. Um, last night I finally got to see the, uh, BBC presentation ghost watch, yeah. which was pretty fucking amazing. I've actually been waiting for like 10 years to see it, which is funny because when I found out about 10 years ago, it was like 15 years after it came out. Um, did you ever hear about that? No, I have no idea what it is. So apparently it was like a mockumentary that the BBC did back in 92. Um, okay. Stephen Bolt wrote it and it was supposed to be like it aired on Halloween night and it was set up. So it was like a BBC special newscast. They actually had the regular BBC pres uh, presenters and everything. Um, but it was this mockumentary like investigating a poltergeist. Mm. And it was sort of done like the Orson Welles World of the World War of the Worlds thing where it just starts out pretty normally um, and then things slowly start going more and more wrong. And apparently after it aired, the BBC was flooded with so many calls and complaints uh, that it was banned from airing in in England for 10 years. Were they just like, this is fucking stupid or what? Uh, no, it was, um, there were a lot of kids had like post-traumatic stress from it. Oh, whoa, and there whoa. Was, there was one suicide associated with it. No shit. Um, what was this? Why did, why would somebody kill themselves? Um, the note that was, uh, left behind said, like, if ghosts are real, then I will be a ghost. That is fucking the creepiest thing I've heard all that made my skin crawl. Yeah. Um, it's on shutter.com, uh, right now. And I, I watched it last night and didn't sleep too well. I mean, some of it, it's, it's very nineties and kind of a little bit cheesy, but, uh, it was really, really good. Um, and then reading wise, um, what was the last book I finished? Um, I've been, I'm about halfway through uh, John Langan's The Fisherman right now. And heard, it's really, really amazing. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about that. That's one of those books where, man, I, do you ever get to the point where you hear so many good things about a book that it makes you just like not even want to read it? You know, if it's like, if there's not even a chance I'm going to dislike it, I, I don't know. It's weird. Like, maybe I have a different approach to reading than most, but... Like I, I like to, I like to like for it to be a risk. You know what I'm saying? Oh, totally. So, hold on, I'm moving through my house because I got to put my phone on the charger. Oh, okay, right on, cool, cool, cool. But uh, yeah, right. I, I mean, pretty much everything that Ross does over at Word Horde is just. I know it's going to be good, yeah. but there's this weird like lack of, uh, of a rush that I feel to read anything from them because I know that it's good. It's really hard for me to explain. No, I, I get it. I get it. Um, yeah, I would, you know, I have yet to pick up anything from Word, Word Horde that's been anything less than phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So, 
Um, it's something that I, I read a book recently about um, addiction, actually, surprisingly, to kind of loop it back around to the beginning. And uh, yeah. it, it talked specifically about, uh, it was about the internet. It's called Irresistible. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he makes, a, the, the guy, Adam Alter, I think is his name, he makes a lot of interesting connections between the internet and like gambling addictions, behavioral addictions. Oh, and that makes sense. One of the most fascinating things in there is they've done a ton of studies that have shown that people become less addicted to things that are consistently good. They become addicted to things that are intermittently good, right? So Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's like with gambling, like if you won every time, there'd be no fun involved, right? It's like, oh, yeah. I won. Oh, I won. Oh, like they you like need to that. Lose. You need that rush, that thrill. Right, and so like with you know with artists, I think that can go. That's really interesting, and maybe uh, something that has kind of inspired me to like maybe not worry if I write a bad book or whatever, because it's like if you're just consistently good all the time, it's almost like you become relegated to this to this world that I'm talking about with the word hoard books, where it's like. I already know it's going to be good. So it's almost like you have the feeling that you would have gotten from reading it of satisfaction without even touching right. it. Um, I mean, I'm still going to read it, but I get what you mean. Yeah, I think that I might be a little bit in the minority with that as far as like being like, oh, that looks too good. Like, I still haven't watched Hell or High Water for the same reason because it's just, it looks, oh, yeah. it looks too good. Yeah. And I just, I would rather watch something like I, I rented uh, The Void. I haven't watched it yet, but. I'm interested because that looks like it could be I, trashy. I've heard uh, I've heard mixed stuff on that, but it's funny. I didn't even I didn't even know anything about it until I started seeing people talking about it on Facebook and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then I watched the trailer and everything. It looks fun. I'm probably gonna watch it at some point. Yeah. So. I, I just I don't know. I'm I'm going through that weird phase where uh, I just like I like stuff that's like half bad, almost good, <laughs> almost good as it were. Yeah. Do you have a favorite uh, almost good movie? Uh, favorite almost good movie? Um, it, this is super cheesy, but uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is the, I believe, 1987 classic April Fool's Day. Never seen it. Yeah. No, it's, um, I mean, it, it's just, it's totally one of those slashers where there are just, when they decide every holiday need to have a slasher movie associated with it. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. But this one is like you can tell by watching it that there is some actual care put into it, and, and it's got a twist ending to it. But it's um, very well put together, um, shockingly well acted for a slasher movie, and uh, it's just one I I usually watch it every single year on Halloween, right on. Instead of watching Halloween, so. Oh, right on, right on. I think that we should bring the trend of of uh, holiday themed movies back, and we should start with. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Oh, uh, that seems uh, that seems problematic, maybe. Yeah, but that's how that's... <laughs> Again, we're not the ones to write that. <laughs> See, I'm just we'll I'm, some... I'm trying I'm trying to bring it all back, man. I'm trying to bring it all back. Yeah. You know. We'll let uh, some alpha male who thinks Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization organization write that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, shout out to all the alpha males out there. Um, oh yeah, you make the world go round. Yeah, like. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Black History Month. That actually, that, that probably would be a pretty frightening movie to a lot of the people that we're talking about. Um, it would be terrifying in the Midwest. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I didn't didn't dear white people get pulled from Netflix or something because of the amount of complaints from people upset about it? You know what I'm talking about? That comedy show. Um, no, I don't. I th- I thought it was still due to come out on Hulu or Netflix. Who's ever? 
Maybe I just read some bullshit on the internet. Who knows? Uh, so I also I wanted to uh, just just uh, in closing, you have a new book out, Selected Stories, right? Uh, yeah, um, Independent Legions uh, Press. Um, I think it's Independent Legions Press. I know it's Independent Legions something. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a short story collection. I think it's got, um, except for my two most recent short stories that were published, it's got pretty much everything I ever had published in there. So um, I took out some crappy ones from the uh, beginning of when I started writing. So you should have uh, left those in, man. Intermittent rewards. Yeah, true. Yeah, that uh, that zombie arena story I wrote that appeared in Thirteen Magazine was probably would probably be a good one for that. I think there's. Oh man, some of my early stuff. It's like, and I remember how excited I was when I first got published. And yeah, I'm not even gonna talk about that. Like, there's a picture of me floating around when I was like 12 years old in full Juggalo ICP makeup. And oh my god that's kind of how i feel about uh, that first story it's like a few people know and a few people have seen it but that's that shall remain a mystery yeah i i i i know there were some uh, really really ugly ones like the first year or two i was getting published <laughs> and those didn't appear in there it's only the good ones i promise right right right, right. <laughs> yeah all but yeah it's uh, yeah just like some 41 motherfuckers. Oh, dude. <laughs> I used to, like, were you into, like, Blink-182 and shit like that, or were you more of a metal kid or what? Uh, no, I was, I've, I've totally been a pop-punk kid most of my life. Right. Um, yeah, so, uh, as much as, like, people will shit on Blink-182 or some 41 or something like that, they've got, I'm not going to say they've got a whole record that's amazing, but they've least got several songs that i would legit call great i thought that blink 182 um, self-titled was really good i thought that was a great album was that the one that had feeling this on there yeah yeah no that was that's that's specifically the one i hold up as like the gold standard of blink 182 songs yeah they did like i and they, I they, they think they that really, like, thing. yeah they wrote the shit out of that album too man like they really like yeah. i remember the documentary about that they did and then uh, now Tom DeLonge is publishing uh, fucking Alien He's doing books. a book about aliens or something, isn't it? Yeah. He did it with uh, Peter Lavanda, who's actually... Uh, I, it was odd to see them work together because I'm familiar with both of their work separately. Because um, he's also doing like this sort of alternate history, and that's kind of what Lavanda's good at. But So okay. the, the fact that Peter Lavanda was involved, he's kind of like this... Uh, esoteric type guy counterculture type yeah. dude but who's pretty entertaining it actually made me a little bit interested but not interested enough to pay 18 dollars for the book so right i think uh delong actually i, I want to say he wrote and possibly directed a movie that's on netflix too whoa uh, i didn't know that yeah I, I i know it was on netflix for a while but it was uh i think it's just called love and it was sort of a side project for when he was doing angels and airwaves and it's, uh, I, I think it's on my watch list on Netflix, although it might be off if they pulled it from Netflix. Mm -hmm. But one of those things that's been on my watch list for like five years, and I just haven't gotten around to watching it yet. I have a ton <laughs> of those, dude. I have a ton of those. Yeah. Well, sir, thank you so much for coming on the JDO show, which is the podcast that we're recording right now. Um, it's been real, man. We, you have, we have to do that oh. more often. Totally. Thank you so much for having me on, man. Yeah, I feel real like uh, I feel a connection with you, dude. I feel like we're birds of a feather, so it's cool to 
be able to talk to somebody who uh, understands fucked up heads. <laughs> when are you coming down to Austin again? Uh, man, I don't. I honestly don't know. Hopefully soon, yeah. but there's no plans. I'll, I'll have to try to get up to Portland for some reason or another. Yeah, dude, for sure. I'll take you to cool Maybe places. Cool. All right. Talk to you later, buddy. All right. Talk to you later, man. Bye.